Jamie Oliver, the British chef, came up in my Facebook feed last week. The post was about his battle with McDonald's and the pink slime. What's in your food was the topic of episode 159. The focus there was canned foods and grocery store foods. But what's in that stuff you get from the drive through window? Is there any food in those chicken pucks or burgers? Jamie's chief complaint was the pink slime. Is it still being made and sold? If you buy heavily processed food, is it really even food? The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 170. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. With just a few days left before Christmas, you'll need something to cook during Christmas week. So, head over to Amazon or my blog page, culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort, and pick up a copy of my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort. Easy-to-follow procedures are pretty much foolproof for you to learn how to use your senses of smell and sight and sound to cook better food and make happy tummies. Jamie Oliver. I just mentioned him. His feed popped up in my feed. Now, I don't follow him, so it wasn't news. The post was about his 2010 fight with McDonald's and that rather infamous pink slime. Now, this is a pretty well-covered issue on the interwebs, and I'm going to use some published sources to do the support. The webpage The Daily Meal published a post in 2012 and includes this paragraph, quote, Here's a brief recap. Jamie Oliver first explored the use of leftover beef trimmings in McDonald's burgers, showing how the scraps were treated with ammonium hydroxide until it became a pink slime. Then McDonald's dropped it. Then the Daily reported that the USDA bought pink slime for school lunches. Then supermarkets were found to carry it to, end quote. The leftover beef trimmings turned into the pink slime is a product invented by Beef Products, Inc. Now, let's see if we can take our time here a little bit. First, that pink slime. It is known as mechanically separated meat. Now, that isn't really telling. The process is shared on another Daily Meal post. It reads, quote, According to the USDA, mechanically separated poultry, MSP, is a paste-like and batter-like poultry product produced by forcing bones with attached edible tissue through a sieve or similar device under high pressure 
to separate bone from the edible tissue, which is then treated with a small amount of ammonium hydroxide as an antimicrobial agent. The definition of edible tissue is stretched a bit here. It essentially refers to anything left on the bones, including nerves, blood vessels, cartilage, and skin, as well as a small amount of meat. The resulting product is essentially the poultry equivalent of lean, finely textured beef, also known as pink slime, even though the production method is different, end quote. Yeah, I hope you're not eating because that's kind of gross. Pork and beef are also put through the same process of mechanical separation. Now, it is so that McDonald's stopped using pink slime for its burgers in 2011. That passage did mention schools and supermarkets. Now, I've been playing on this podcast that I'm no fan of the food programs supported and created in some cases enforced by the FDA and the USDA. So, with that, there's this bit from a March 6, 2012 Daily Meal post. Quote, When McDonald's ditched their ammonium-treated pink slime in January, the world applauded, knowing their kids wouldn't be eating any more of the processed beef scraps. Thanks, Jamie Oliver. Yet it seems the USDA didn't seem to care. They have continued to buy the pink slime for school lunches, according to the Daily. Officials have reportedly confirmed the purchase of 7 million pounds of the pink goo, end quote. The USDA did say that schools can opt out of the pink slime from their school lunch menu. Over 225,000 parents in 2012 responded to a change.org online petition to ban the pink slime. While that is a win for schools, the school lunch program, discussed in part on episode 128, remains a significant danger to the health and wellness of our kids. In part for items like pink slime, but also the laundry list of ingredients in processed foods. Let's touch on that last part of that first passage. According to a ConsumerSolution.org webpage post, Safeway, AMP, Whole Foods, Costco, Publix, HEB, Waldbums, and Price Cooper use pink slime in some of their meat products. While this may spark at least some curiosity, pink slime has been granted a new life or regulated out of existence, depending on how you look at these things. The Mamavation.com website posted an article in 2019 about pink slime getting a name change, and it was official. They write, quote, It's happening again! Do you remember pink slime? It's back, and with a vengeance, but this time, the United States Department of Agriculture has reclassified the product once referred to as pink slime or lean, finely textured beef as ground beef. 
end quote. The main issue with this name change is how to spot the pink slime if it is called ground beef. In frozen products, the choice is don't buy that ground beef product or take your chances. In the meat case, the same answer, but another option maybe. Grind your own burger. Now, I'm a bit of a cynic when I'm shopping and I don't trust the package. I buy slabs of chuck and I grind my own burger. Now, I also know not everyone can and not everyone wants to do this. The labels are of no help in the store. Grass-fed means nothing. It conveys a false sense of purity and wholesomeness. All-natural also is meaningless. Uranium is all-natural. So are many things you step in, but that doesn't make them palatable or edible. Rocks are all-natural. One issue is that ammonium hydroxide. It sounds terrible, and it probably is. But ammonia and ammonia derivatives are not uncommon in commercial food production. Now, that may be another show. From a 2012 Reuters.com post, they include this, quote, Critics of so-called big food point out that while pink slime and the ammonia in it may not be harmful, consumer shock over their presence points to a wider issue. Uh, inside, the, inside that passage is this quote, The food supply is full of all sorts of chemical additives that people don't know about, end quote, said by Michelle Simon, a public health lawyer and president of industry watchdog consulting firm Eat Drink Politics, and that's ending the whole quote. In looking up Eat Drink Politics and Michelle Simon, she has moved on to found a a plant-based something. It's a Twitter feed, and it's a a vegan group. So (laughs) I don't know what to make of that, but she she still is involved in food. Uh, In that Reuters piece, a few paragraphs later, they add that, quote, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted ammonium hydroxide status as a grass, or generally regarded as safe substance in 1974, end quote. If it is used in the production of foods, why isn't it listed on the label? The writer's piece notes that items used in processing and items which are used less than 1% of the time are not required to be listed on the label. Um, or not not time, less than 1%. Uh, I don't actually know how they figured it out, but less than 1%. Okay, that doesn't make it good or right. The yuck factor is high, but the reduction of pathogens is the plus. Pathogen reduction is a good thing. I don't know how many other ways there are to do that. Obviously, safe food handling is one of them, but when you're dealing with meats at the massive quantities these places are dealing with them, that can become an issue, and we're gonna, we'll are gonna talk about a little bit about that, but E. coli in many states is a problem, and that part of that problem is we don't have 
Now we. <laughs> it's the pronoun problem. They don't have sound, good, safe food handling practices. Uh, so getting back to those pathogens. The question of is that quasi-food product something that should be sold is a question every consumer answers for herself. My answer is no, I don't buy them. I used to because two parents working a lot and needing to feed their kids was a higher urgency than making dinner from scratch. On one level, I'm glad Jamie went to McDonald's for the benefit that lots of folks now know a bit more about what goes into that convenience food. To Jamie's credit, he's showing folks that they can, in fact, make their own convenience food at home for at least the same cost, sometimes a little bit less, and with far fewer ingredients. Teaching people how to cook real food is a good thing all the time. I mentioned package labels and the sins hidden in the language. Now that's a big deal and it's a real issue. I've covered it a little bit on various shows. Uh, the hows and the whys specifically are unknown to me, but I have a good guess. Cronyism. And quite honestly, if you knew that the pink stuff in strawberry yogurt was crushed, bug <laughs> crushed buck guts, you wouldn't eat it. So, uh, but I don't know, it's a hunch. Food labels are worth reading even if you can't decipher the language. Consider this label. Water, soy protein concentrate, coconut oil, sunflower oil, natural flavors, 2% or less of potato protein, methylcellulose, yeast extract, cultured dextrose, food starch modified, Soy, leg hemoglobin, salt, mixed topopherols, antioxidant, soy protein isolate, vitamins and minerals, zinc gluconate, thiamine hydrochloride, vitamin B1, niacin, pyridoxine hydrochloride, vitamin B6, riboflavin, vitamin B2, and vitamin B12. That list is the Impossible Burger. I will note that the first ingredient sounds a lot more sinister when you call it dihydrogen monoxide. It's in the rivers and streams. It's everywhere. It's more chemicals. A quick glance shows a couple of issues. Sunflower oil, more soy, and then some odd things. What is soy protein concentrate and soy leg hemoglobin and what flavors are natural flavors and just how natural are they the website sciencedirect.com offers this passage about soy protein concentrate quote soy protein concentrates are prepared by removing soluble carbohydrate fraction as well as some flavor compounds from defatted meal. Three basic processes are used for carbohydrate removal. One, acid leaching, isoelectric pH 4.5. Two, aqueous ethanol, 60 to 80% extraction. And three, 
moist heat water leaching. In all of these treatments, proteins become insolubilized while a portion of the carbohydrates remain soluble so that their separation becomes possible by centrifugation. Solids containing mainly proteins and insoluble carbohydrates are then dispersed in water, neutralized to pH 7.0 if necessary, and spray-dried to produce soy concentrates. Many commercial soy concentrates are made by the aqueous alcohol extraction or acid leaching process, end quote. Doesn't that sound yummy? The natural flavor is from a substance called heme. The impossiblefood.com website offers this about heme, and the natural flavor is not the, it's, it's a soy product. Um, the natural flavor, I don't know what that is. They're not going to tell us. But heme is naturally occurring, and they write, Impossible Foods writes this, heme, quote, heme is what makes meat taste like meat. It's an essential molecule found in every living plant and animal, most abundant in animals, and something we've been eating and craving since the dawn of humanity. Here at Impossible Foods, our plant-based heme is made via fermentation of genetically engineered yeast and safety verified by America's top food safety experts in peer-reviewed academic journals, end quote. The paragraph or two later, they continue, quote, we started by extracting heme from the root nodules of soybean plants, but we knew there was a better way. So we took the DNA of those soy plants and inserted it into a genetically engineered yeast. We fermented this yeast, very similar to the way Belgian beer is made, to produce heme, end quote. It's not pink slime, but it's not straight out of the ground like a carrot. It's not easy to see like slaughtered beef. Now, I know that's not necessarily a rosy picture, but is a line of stainless steel tables with people dressed in Tyvek suits with Florence flasks and Bunsen burners, a better image. Ickiness aside, which appears more wholesome and closer to nature, the butcher or Walter White? The way humans have been eating meat for tens of thousands of years, or the way humans have been eating, air quotes, <laughs> scare quotes, meat, for a year or two, well, maybe three. The Earthsat's meat product is not without some big name critics, namely Whole Foods, a Vox of all places, really. Uh, our webpage ran a blog post, Meatless Meat is Becoming Mainstream and it's start sparking a backlash, writing, quote, for instance, the CEO of Whole Foods and the CEO of Chipotle both criticized Beyond and Impossible products, calling them too highly processed. Food writer and former New York Times columnist Mark Bittman, who has long called on Americans to eat less meat, criticized the new higher-tech vegan meat for not addressing resource use and hyper-processing, end quote.
As if to push the point home, Vox adds this passage, quote, Whole Foods CEO John Mackey warned customers they are super highly processed foods. Chipotle CEO Brian Nichols said, We have spoken to those folks and unfortunately it wouldn't fit in with our food with integrity principles because of the processing. Perhaps Jamie Oliver was plain and upfront with his campaign against McDonald's serving food not fit for human consumption. I suspect there was no way for Oliver to know what 10 years would bring. The big meat industry is a problem and one I've addressed a few times on this podcast. Factory farming of anything, plants or animals, is bad for the soil and bad for the thing being farmed. Where the vegans and the plant-based food folks, if there is a distinction, and there might be a small one, and the small-scale farming folks agree, is that the industry is too big and too impossible to manage. The quote about heme had this portion, quote, safety verified by America's top food safety experts and peer-reviewed academic journals, unquote. Now, are these the same experts watching that ground beef contaminate people in 27 different states? Are these the same experts watching the spinach problem of a few years ago, or the salmonella problem in the Romaine a few years ago, or the recent onion problem out west? Hardly a shining example of overlord control. Peer review as an issue, has been in the crosshairs of late, and one main complaint is it's a closed shop. It sounds impressive, but the goings-on behind the scenes can be. Can be, aren't always, or maybe even hardly ever, corrupt. But corruption can exist, and that violates trust. When it's found out. When it's not found out and people get sick, well, that's another issue. The main driving arguments for plant-based meat is the animal farts create more methane than all cars and trucks and trains and buses and ships and airplanes and rockets combined. That's on the Impossible Food website, and the link there leads to an IPCC page, but the IPCC has reformatted their site, and that specific link is dead. Now, you can, you can click over to an archive and... I don't even know what I'm looking for, so I didn't look. It was, it was a one-page archive. Oh, this is all right. So uh, that information probably still exists on the interweb someplace, but I wasn't hunting for it. I don't doubt the IPCC said what they said. I question the Impossible Meats interpretation of that information. The other issue less often mentioned but important to the plant-based crowd and the Great Reset crowd is carbon. When Impossible Meats makes their products, they're taking the whole plant, the potato, the soy. What are they doing with the rest of the plant? Is it is the plant cattle food and then they pull up the roots of the potatoes? Is it composted? Is it left to rot? I didn't find an answer and the frequently asked questions page on the Impossible Meat page didn't include that as an FAQ. What happens to the water they use? It seems there is a lot of information missing about just how much the Impossible Meat products actually
actually contribute to the problems they say they're trying to address. Nearly everything I read did address the sustainability of the impossible meat production. A few observations. One, they are not nearly as big as they want to be. Bill Gates used to be a shareholder of Impossible Meats. Now it's possible he still is, I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a big deal in the articles I read that he abandoned both his Impossible Meat and Beyond Meat shares. Bill Gates owns the most farmland in America, making him the largest farmland owner. That's reading you know, circular logic, circular statement. Impossible Meats needs a lot of land if they intend as the Great Reset and the Great Food Transformation Plan to force, meaning coerce, wait two weeks, Americans to eat plant-based meats. Now, all of that is just curious. I have no inside information. That's just interesting correlation. I know nothing about anyone's plans, but it is curious. Jamie Oliver showed up 10 years after the issue reminding anyone who saw the post that the quality and integrity of McDonald's products isn't top-notch. If anyone found that news, then perhaps that post helped. But for most of us, it isn't news. I said I was glad Jamie brought light to the issue, and I am. I want people to learn to cook for themselves to their abilities. Then I want them to grow their abilities. No one is coerced to eat fast food. It is voluntary. Exchange should be voluntary. The thousands of transactions that took place before you got the burger at the counter really don't seem to be that consumer's problems. And if they are that consumer's problems, then that person volunteers to not, which is dumb. You don't volunteer to go. You choose elsewhere. The dumb part was my syntax. If ever there was a culinary libertarian topic, this seems it. Eat what you want with the liberty to voluntarily choose it. I also think you should know what's in the food. Pink slime or impossible meat, what are you choosing to consume? That information should be available because the vendor volunteers to show it. Do I think you should be able to know how the cow or lamb or chicken was dispatched? Yes, I do. You are free to volunteer to know not how those things happened. Getting those details isn't a law issue. It's not a legislation issue. It's not a job for some desk jockey senator to write another bill like we need more of that. It's a market issue. When the customers demand and act in a way that shows the business, sharing is caring, that makes it a good business choice. I think that'll never happen. But I doubt enough of anyone will really want to know those details, and really, that's okay. In a small restaurant, on a very, very small scale, I've done that work. Some things you just don't want to know, and hope that they're being honest with you, but it should be available for you if you want to. Anyway, it's, it, you know, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, but you should at least know what it is that's in between the buns 
at your favorite fast food place. And what's in the buns is a whole other issue. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I will put a link to Podcast 128 on the show notes page. And that was the school lunch program. And part of, I probably covered FDA too, I don't remember, but I'll put it up there. Uh, if you want a reminder or if you haven't heard it yet, uh, get some of that business because it was, it's very frustrating. Are you a the last minute is still 59 seconds too many kind of a shopper? Do you look for a quick click and that's Christmas shopping? Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash CAWineMain for California Wine Club's gift box selections. Pick red or white or mix or order some champagne to ring out 2021. Good riddance. Gifting is easy and takes mere seconds. Probably more than one. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash CAWineMain for your fast-clicking shopping. If you like the show, I would appreciate your support. Head over to CulinaryLibertarian.com slash support, and there you will find Patreon or Venmo or PayPal or Bitcoin options. Also, please share this episode and its social media feeds and leave a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.